Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. So Romans chapter 8 and we're reading from verses 1 through to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin... The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, sorry, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Thank you, Hayden. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning. And as uh, Hayden mentioned a moment ago, we're continuing our Roman series today. And if you've been away or are visiting for the first time in this series, it's called The Big Stuff. And the reason for that is because Romans is a theological masterpiece and it covers most of the major themes of the Bible. John Calvin said of the book of Romans that anyone who understands this epistle has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Samuel Coleridge, an English poet and literary critic, said that Paul's letter to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. And Frederick Godet, the 19th century Swiss theologian, called the book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. All that to say that this is a really important series and I encourage you to be studying Romans in your MCGs and in your own quiet times, uh, in your own private study during the week with open hearts and also open minds 
for what God may see to you, say to you through this magnificent letter. Today we're up to Romans chapter 8, and it's a wonderful chapter which provides us with hope in the present, but more importantly, eternal hope for the future. The great preacher Dick Lucas said that Romans chapter 8 is an eschatological chapter. In other words, it's reminding us of the assurance we have in Christ for the future. And I agree there's definitely a chapter of assurance for our salvation. However, to limit to the future, um, this passage is to really um, miss some of it, I think. It's to, it's to miss our remembrance of Christ's past work, which we clearly see in verses 1 to 4. And it's also to downplay the work of the Spirit in the present, which is the main focus of verses 5 through to 16. Verses 17 to 37, Paul turns his attention to the future hope we have. I prefer Reverend David Cook's structure of the chapter more, where he breaks it down into three parts built around a triune God. He said Romans chapter 8 is all about the work of God the Son uh, in the past, the work of God the Holy Spirit in the present, and the work of God the Father for the future. I think that's a good understanding of this chapter, and those three points will form the three points of this message today. The title of today's message is Jesus, a black dog, and a future hope. Jesus, a black dog, and a future hope. We're going to start with point number one today, and that is that we are people who are called to remember Jesus. A very simple point, but a very important point. Most commentators believe that Romans 8 is a chapter about the Holy Spirit, and the main reason for that is that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in chapter 8, which is more than it's mentioned in the entirety of the rest of the book of Romans. However, I don't think this chapter is actually about the Holy Spirit. I believe this chapter is actually about Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we accept Christ, at exactly the same point of conversion, we are given the Holy Spirit who lives in us as our helper, always pointing us back to Jesus. And so if you belong to Christ today, you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. Now in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is symbolized as a dove. Most of you would know that already. And I love what Spurgeon says. He said, I looked to the dove and it flew away. I looked to the cross and it flew into my heart. And I think that's so true. When we accept Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a package deal at the point of conversion. And one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is to point us back to Jesus so that we remember him daily. Everything in this chapter flows from the person and work of Christ mentioned in the first four verses. Jesus is always the central argument of Paul's theology and, in fact, the entirety of Scripture. And to be a Christian is to accept Christ as our Lord and Saviour and then to remember daily who he is, what he's done, who we are as a result, and what he's promised for the future. The problem, of course, is this, that we are very forgetful people. Very forgetful people. This week, on Thursday, I went to Terelgan to give a presentation to a group of regional pastors as part of my new role with the Baptist Union of Victoria. When I travel for those kind of appointments, I can keep a log of the Ks that I travel, and the BUV will reimburse me for all the Ks that I do. And so this week, I scribbled down the Ks on a piece of paper, and I thought to myself, I need to go and get a log book so that I remember where I've scribbled these things down. And so I got home that night, Thursday afternoon, and I mentioned that to Kim. And she said, why don't you go over to Officeworks now, get yourself a logbook, and get a refund on the things you bought the other day that you no longer want. And so I thought, that's a good idea. And so I thought, I'd ask Lenny to come with me. Now, Lenny wasn't convinced Officeworks is not the most exciting thing for him. And so I did what parents should never, ever do. I bribed him. I said, if you come to Officeworks, I'll buy you something. 
And so his eyes lit up and it became very clear that the fact that his dad is awesome was not enough to convince him, but to get post-it notes in the shape of an emoji was enough to twist his arm. <laughs> Parenting is a very humbling thing at times. So we went to Officeworks and we arrived there and I took the things that I wanted a refund for and I gave them to the person, the cashier. I got my refund. We did some browsing. Um, we didn't forget to get Lenny's gifts. So we got that. He's got his little emoji post-it notes. And then we got our stuff. We jumped in the car and we drove home. And it wasn't until I was driving in the driveway that I realised that I didn't get the logbook. <laughs> I'd forgotten to get the very thing that was the main purpose of our trip to Officeworks in the first place. That's a trivial example, and I could probably give you 50 examples in the past week where I've forgotten things I shouldn't have forgot. But it rings true in our lives when it comes to remembering Jesus. How often do we get so caught up with everything else in life that we forget the most important thing in life, Jesus, and what his life, death, and resurrection actually means for our everyday lives. Many Christians can go days, weeks, even months without truly reflecting upon and remembering Jesus in a meaningful way. Chapter 8, this passage starts with the most magnificent declaration. Verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of many wonderful truths of the gospel, but it's one that many Christians seem to forget. You may be one of those Christians today, maybe you're one of these people that you walk around crippled by the mistakes that you've made in the past. And you've made these mistakes and they continue to define your present and if nothing changes in your life, they'll continue to define your future and you keep bringing them up over and over again. You keep reliving all of those things along with the shame and regret that those experiences reproduce. You can almost see it physically on some people, even Christian people. They walk around and it looks like they are literally carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. They look downcast. They look broken. They look defeated. And they think to themselves, well, God could never use a person like me. I've made too many mistakes. I've got too much of a past. God could never use me. Even though I read scripture and he takes a whole bunch of misfits and mistakes and he uses them to do incredible things, that's different for them. For me, he could never use a person like me. And even after repenting of their sins and mistakes, and even after being forgiven by God, they keep dredging it up over and over again. They keep begging God, please forgive me for the things I've done. And he must be scratching his head and thinking, I forgave you all the way back here when you asked the first time. Not only did I forgive it, but I cast it away into my sea of forgetfulness. And I don't understand why you keep bringing it up. If you're not a Christian here today, the most wonderful news is that Jesus wants to set you free from your past and the power and regret of sin. But if you're a Christian here today and you're living that way, where you won't move forward even though you're forgiven, you are selling yourself well short of the life that the gospel promises in Christ. The book of Micah says that God has cast our sins into the depth of the sea. Our sins are like the Titanic they seemed so big, it seemed unsinkable, but it's now on the bottom of the ocean. It's gone, it's finished. God took what you may see as unsinkable and he sunk it at the cross. Psalm 103 says that as far as east is from west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. If you want to know how far that is, that's a long way. 
They don't touch each other. As far as east is from west, God has removed our sins. And in Isaiah, he said he has made our scarlet sins as white as snow. It's magnificent imagery of what Christ has done for us. Through a relationship with Jesus, we are set free from our past. We're set free from our shame. We're set free from our sin and regret. And we are given new lives in Christ. The Apostle Paul, who had a horrific past, persecuting, killing Christians, doing all sorts of things, rebelling against God, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. I press on to what God has called me to do in the future. Jesus loves to set people free. Who the Son set free is free indeed. The Bible says that it's for freedom's sake that he set you free. Why did he set you free? Because he loves freedom. He wants you to be people that are free from the things that will paralyze you from the calling God has on your life. The Christian life is an extraordinary life of freedom where the consequences of our sins were carried by someone else, Jesus Christ at the cross, who removed them and sunk them at the cross when he declared, it is finished. That's wonderfully good news. So perhaps this morning, Paul's words are actually God's word to you today. If you are beating yourself up, if you feel like giving up, if you are carrying the burden of your past, these are the words for you today. If you're on the right-hand side today and you're one of these people, God's word to you today is this, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're in the middle sections and you're hampered by all these things that are holding you back, God's word to you in Christ today, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're on the left, you guys look pretty holy, but if you're on the left and you haven't yet got this, his word to you today is that there is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Maybe today you need to say it out loud. Maybe you need to pray it in your heart. Maybe you need to truly accept this for the very first time, but whatever the case may be, don't leave this place today without allowing Jesus to set you free. This is the reality of our current lives in Christ. There is no condemnation. And in the first four verses, Paul explains how Christ made that possible. Let's pick it up at verse 2. It says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, before Jesus lived on earth, sin was victorious over humanity. We were permanently under its curse. It was like we were in the ring in a boxing match. And it was us and it was Conor McGregor coming against us. And we were on the ropes and we were about to be knocked out. But as Romans 5 told us, while we were still powerless... While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ stepped into the ring and he delivered the knockout blow to sin by living a perfect life and qualifying to die a righteous death in order to conquer it in the flesh. Last week from Romans 7, we saw that the law is good because it's God's holy requirements to be in a relationship with him. But at the same time, it's also a curse to us because we can't keep it. The problem's not the law, the problem is us. Romans 3 taught us that all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. And so the law condemns us. The law was powerless to save us and keep us in a relationship with God because the righteousness of the law is dependent on us keeping it all the time and no one in this room can. In fact, no one throughout human history can keep the law perfectly. The law was not designed to save us, but rather to highlight that we need a saviour. And because the God, the Father, is such a loving, compassionate and kind God, if you look to the end of uh, this passage today, you'll see he's called Abba Father. That's a, that's a term of endearment. That's a term of intimacy. It's like saying he's my daddy father. He's a God who is compassionate and kind and loving. And because he loved the world so much, he sent a saviour in the form of his son. Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh, which doesn't mean that he was sinful. He was without sin. What it does mean is that he embraced humanity which simply means that Jesus was God in human form. He took on all the limitations of what it means to be human and he faced the same things that you and I face every day. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus came to earth And in his time on earth, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law completely and perfectly by keeping every command. And so every way I break the law, Jesus kept the law. Every way we fell short, Jesus met the mark. Every temptation we give into, Jesus resisted. Jesus fulfilled the law by perfectly keeping the law, and he conquered the power of sin, the very thing that separates us from a holy God, by taking it upon himself, becoming cursed by it and dying for it. And so when we accept Jesus as the saviour he was sent to be, the New Testament teaches that we are now in Christ. Therefore, the requirements of the law that has been kept in him and our sin, which is covered by him, can now be our experience, and they're both accessed in exactly the same way by faith, by putting our faith in Jesus. Verse 3, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's why Hebrews 4 continues by saying, let us then approach God's throne with grace of grace with confidence not cowering before the throne, not hiding in a corner. No, no, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, which we constantly need while we're in the body. So we can never boast that we are holy or righteous or spiritual in or of ourselves, but we can boast in Jesus who became those things on our behalf. And so the first point today is that we need to remember Jesus. Remember what he's done. Remember what it means. Remember who we are as a result. Remember Jesus every day. Second point for the note takers today is this. Don't feed the black dog. Don't feed the black dog. Romans chapter 8 outlines two great enemies that we all face. The enemy within, verses 1 to 17, that's our sinful nature. And the enemy without, suffering and death, which he covers in verses 17 to 39. Spiritual maturity is very much 
a theme of this chapter. Many people think it's about living the victorious life through the Spirit, but I think it's more about Spirit-led maturity, even in the ongoing struggle of our humanity. There's a well-known story of an ancient Indian chief who had become a Christian, and he was trying to explain to his grandson what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to still struggle between this new life and this old life. And so he said to his grandson, the best way I can explain it is to say this, that before I became a Christian, it's like I had a big black dog, and it went with me everywhere. I had to constantly keep feeding the big black dog. But when I became a Christian, it was like I was given another dog. It was a big white dog. And now, ever since I've been given the big white dog, it's like the big white dog and the big black dog are just constantly fighting. The grandson said to him, well, which dog wins the fight? It's a very good question. The answer from the Indian chief was, whichever dog I feed the most. Last last week we talked about our lives and God's standard and how we all fall short of God's standard for our lives. But in the middle, we don't find condemnation, but we find grace in the gap. God's grace covers us in Jesus when we fall short of the life that Christ wants us to live. I think that's a good thing to remember, but it never should ever mean that we should take sin lightly. It doesn't mean that we should give up and say, oh, well, you know, I fell short again this week, but grace is in the gap, so grace will cover me and I'll just keep doing whatever. I think we covered this all the way back in chapter 6. In verse 1, Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He said, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If you think God takes sin lightly, or if you take lightly in your life, then look no further than the cross where his own son was crucified to pay the penalty for sin in the most horrific and tragic way. The cross clearly shows us how much God hates sin. When he poured out his wrath on Jesus, who willingly died in our place to pay the consequences for it. God hates sin. And Christian maturity is shown in the life of a person who grows in their hatred of sin as well. Christian maturity means that over time, with the help of the Spirit, the gap between what God expects and our lives should actually become less because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives every day. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. The Holy Spirit every day is convicting us, challenging us, growing us, pointing us back to Jesus. And so the process of Christian maturity is becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Now, I think Scripture makes it pretty clear that short of Jesus' return, the gap will never be bridged completely because we continue to struggle with sin. But maturing as a Christian means that we stop feeding the black dog and we start feeding the white dog so that the white dog becomes bigger and stronger and the black dog gets weaker and starts to starve. Spiritual maturity is the journey of constant sanctifying transformation as we submit ourselves to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a daily process and in all honesty, it's a daily struggle and I think that's exactly what Paul was articulating in the previous chapter. To paraphrase Paul, if you weren't here last week, he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. I don't understand why I keep doing this. And he finishes by saying, what a wretched man I am. I think the Bible is God's truth. And when we read God's truth, our current experience actually rings true with what the Bible says. And I think when we look at what Paul says in that particular instant, it rings true in our own lives. I think we can connect 
with his feelings, his emotions, his frustration, and with his struggle, and the tension he feels daily between the pull of his old sinful nature and his new life in Christ. We connect with it because we feel that same tension daily as well. And so the question becomes for us, which dog are we feeding the most? The black dog or the white dog? I want to encourage you this morning, don't feed the black dog. Last week I said that we're on our way in this Christian journey, but we're not there yet. We're on this constant process of sanctification. But as we grow in maturity, our lives start to produce more and more fruit that pleases God. The light starts to shine. The white dog starts to grow. And that should also coincide with less bad fruit in our lives as the darkness starts to fade and the black dog starts to starve. We're not who we used to be by God's grace, but also not yet who we're going to be either. This is what spiritual maturity looks like this side of eternity. Now, if we look at verses 5 to 13, Paul moves on to articulate the difference between what we used to be and what we now are in Christ. Some scholars believe this is comparing the spiritual and non-spiritual Christian, but I don't believe that to be true. I believe he's comparing non-Christians and Christians, the regenerate and the unregenerate, those who are saved and those who are not saved. And I think as we read through these verses, that will become pretty obvious. Let's start at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those living in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then though your body is subject to death because of sin, in other words, sin is still affecting our current lives, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Then it gets to verse 12 and 13, which I think are very important verses. Because they're addressing Christians and they make it clear that a true Christian is never someone who will take sin lightly. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to that. For if you're living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now the word put to death there in the King James Version is an old-fashioned word. It's the word mortify. I remember my mum using it when I was young. She would say, oh, I was mortified when I heard that. I'm not sure if that's the right way to use it, but that's how I remember it. In the Greek, it literally means to kill, destroy, or to make die the misdeeds of the body. In other words, a spiritually mature Christian does not keep stuffing around with sin. Let me say that again. A, mature, a spiritually mature Christian does not keep stuffing around with sin. My granddad told me the story once of... His mum coming to visit, I think she was coming from Scotland, and she'd come all the way over to visit Grandad. At that time, Grandad was living on a farm. And to get from the house, the farmhouse, to the letterbox, you had to cross a really big paddock. And so he said to his mum one day, let's go for a walk and we'll get the mail. And so they headed off on the journey from the house to the mailbox. And on their way, there was a huge snake on the journey. Now, Grandad saw snakes all the time on the farm. He knew how to kill them. Uh, they didn't phase him at all. But his mum had never seen one and she completely freaked out, which many of you can probably relate to. And so granddad was telling her how you kill a snake 
And it'd be fair to say it took a lot of convincing, but she finally agreed to kill the snake. And so Grandad grabbed a big branch off a tree and gave it to her and said, all right, you're going to kill the snake. You've just got to strike it on the back and sort of point it to where she needed to strike it. Now, his mum picked up the branch, went over to the snake, and she struck it, but she didn't strike it once. She kept striking it, and she kept going and going and going. And Grandad said by the time she finished, about half an hour later, that snake was completely pulverised. It would be fair to say the snake was dead. It had been mortified. It was killed, destroyed, and made dead. Now, it wasn't the last snake that reared its ugly head in Grandad's paddock, but every time one dared to appear, it ended with the same swift ending. It was mortified quickly through a continual stroke. And I think that's a great illustration of sin in our lives and how we, as we mature as Christians, with the work of the Holy Spirit, we should deal with sin. While we are in this body, short of Jesus' return, this will be the constant journey of our lives, but we need to deal swiftly with sin in our lives. I think sanctification is a very satisfying journey and it's a very frustrating process because the Holy Spirit works in our lives, doesn't he? And he highlights an area of our life that we need to work on. And so we submit ourselves to God and we start to, with the Holy Spirit's help, start to work through that thing. And as we're doing that, we think, yes, I'm making progress. I've almost conquered this thing. Something else pops up, doesn't it? And we go, okay, now we've got to work on that. And so we start working on that. And then the thing that we thought we'd already conquered pops up again. And then we've got to work on that again. And then another thing pops up. And this is sanctification, that all the time, the Holy Spirit's transforming our lives to become more and more like Jesus as we deal with the sin that often pops up in our lives. There are more and more snakes in the paddock that need to be swiftly mortified. And this is the journey of a maturing faith that we don't take sin lightly. We deal with it swiftly by bringing it into the light, confessing our sins and dealing with it through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's satisfying because we're conquering our sins. um, We're making progress, but it's frustrating because we're not there yet. And this is what Paul brings us to now, a future hope. And the future hope is this, that one day we will arrive. One day we will conquer sin completely. One day we will be just like Christ. One day in the future, this frustration that we experience every day will actually come to an end. And this is guaranteed through the seal of the Holy Spirit. If we look at Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about this. It says, When you believed, the point of conversion, you were marked in him with a seal. That seal was the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's kind of like there's a lot of people here that have recently bought houses or purchased land. And the first thing you do to secure that land or that house is you go and you place a deposit on it. Now, when you place that deposit on it, it means that it's not yours yet, but it's guaranteed that it will be, providing you can pay the full price. And so people put their deposit down. They say, guess what? Yesterday I bought a house. Or I bought a block of land. And that's partially true because they put a deposit on it. It's going to be theirs, but it's not completely theirs yet. I think this is what happens for us when we become a Christian. We accept Jesus Christ. We are given the Holy Spirit. And that future promises of God at that point are guaranteed. They are secure. Those promises will come to pass because Jesus has already paid the price in full. But in the meantime, we are waiting as we're being transformed constantly, transformed constantly to become more like Christ. We are waiting till that time where we fully inherit these promises of God. 
So if we go back to the end of chapter 7, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. But then he finishes by saying, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In other words, while we're in this body, we still struggle with sin. Our destiny is still physical death. But he finishes in verse 25 by saying these words. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's talking about the hope of resurrection when Christ returns. This is where I agree with Dick Lucas that much of this passage is eschatological. It's future hope. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, when Jesus returns, we will be made like him. We will be glorified. We'll be perfected. But until that time, even though we're bridging the gap, there'll always be a gap between us and Jesus because we keep falling short. All these passages are pointing to Christ's future return. When Jesus returns at the resurrection of our bodies, we will finally be completely like him. And this is how it finishes today's passage in verse 17. It says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. What's an heir? Someone who is inheriting the promises that they will receive fully in the future. We are heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that's our present experience, in order that we may also share in his glory, that's our future hope. Romans 8 is a great chapter about Jesus, a black dog, and a future hope. It reminds us of the work of Jesus, God the Son, in the past, the work of God the Holy Spirit in the present, and the work of God the Father, who has secured our future through the work of his Son and through the seal of the Holy Spirit. So today, remember Jesus. This week, remember Jesus every day. Don't feed the black dog and embrace your future hope in Christ. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.